Without faith, religion is way too much work. As a matter of fact, nothing really works without faith. So why faith? A long time ago, God asked a man way further back than, than this and way further back than, than Peter. He asked a man to get out of the boat, the boat of his mind and the boat of his heart, and to walk with him in faith. And, uh, and the three great Western religions today all trace their beginning back to this moment when this man got out of the boat of his mind and got out of the boat of his heart and started to walk in faith. And it's all traced back to this one verse in Genesis. Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. Abram, you know him as Abraham. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. In other words, God said, because you have faith, because you're willing to walk with me and follow me all the days of your life, I am going to one day give you life forever. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God. When I meet with classes and sometimes groups of people, and we go back to this verse, we go back to Abraham, I say, What's Abraham's, what was Abraham's religion? And uh, people pause for a moment and they, they ponder. Then somebody will usually say Judaism. And I say, say, no, it wasn't Judaism at that point. There wasn't Judaism at that point. And then somebody might just, they, they know it's wrong, but they feel like saying it anyway. Christianity, I mean, oh, it's like, it wasn't Christianity at that time. And then there's a silence. And then, once in a while, somebody will, will guess it. Usually I'll say it. He didn't have a religion. He didn't have a religion. You know, religion's way too much work. What he had was faith. He had faith. His, his heart and his mind reached out to connect to God. Because without faith, nothing really works. Without faith, you are just spinning your wheels. Right now, my guess is you need faith for something. You need a real faith. You need a faith that, that is going to take you somewhere. You need faith right now for something very important and real in your life. And here's where I'm going. At the end of your life, at the end of your life, faith will tell all the stories of your life that are worth telling. You want to have great stories? Got to have faith. Let me take you to a chapter in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. It's often referred to as the, the chapter of faith. There's, there's innumerable great stories in this book. Story after story of men and, and women who got out of the boat in their mind, got out of the boat in their heart and said, I'm going to believe and I'm going to let God do something. I'm going to follow after God, even though I can't see where this is going, even though it's not making any sense right now. I am going to have faith and define my life by what my faith does. Hebrews chapter 11. I'll read excerpts. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith 
is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word, what we see created by what we don't see. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result, his family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. Let that sink in for a second. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God, a city that he didn't see. Each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back anytime they wanted. Let me just do a little parenthesis here. My grandmother longed for the home country. Her name was Brigida Strignile. Because her name was Brigida, she always said, call me Mary. Uh, and, and so my grandmother longed for where she was born and, and the family that was left behind, the friends that were left behind. So she often took trips back to Italy. Most of the time, she would go on a ship and be gone weeks and, and, and months. And she would, she would bring all these big bundles of clothes and everything that she saved up to bring home because she longed for that place where she was born and she longed to see her family and her friends again. People who live this way make it plain that they're looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they, have, they could have gone back anytime they wanted. But they were after a far better country than that. Heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. What's the longing that is, is in your heart today? Is it a longing for a place that you can see that's geographical in some, in some way where you can get on a road here and take several roads and get there? Or is it something so much more than that, something that you can't see? That's what this, the author of this chapter of Hebrews is trying to make this point. By an act of faith, Moses' parents hid him away for three months after his birth. They saw the child's beauty, and they braved the king's decree. By an act of faith, Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptians tried it and drowned. By faith, the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days, and the walls fell flat. By an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies 
and escape the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. I could go on and on, but I've run out of time. There are so many more. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms, made justice work, took the promises for themselves. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. When the writer of Hebrews says that they couldn't get their hands on what was promised, God had a better plan for us, that was the plan, that God would come, that God would show up, that God would finish the work of redemption on the cross so that by seeing Jesus, the face of love, the face of love, seeing him and listening to him and following him, we could change everything. We could change everything about the way we live and everything about the world around us. And even as that world is broken, we still have the opportunities to walk into the possibilities of change because of our faith. Now, if you go back to the first verse in this chapter 11 of Hebrews, which I read in the message, here it is in the NIV and then in the New American Standard Bible. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence, confidence in what we hope for. Assurance about what we do not see. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The New American Standard Bible uh, is, is looked at as the most literal translation. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is essential to life. Life without faith just doesn't work. Why faith? It's, it's a new name that I'm, that I'm giving to this concept of faith that I'd like to share with you now. It's just two words, and, and I'd like to share them and, and think about them with you right now. Internal traction. Internal traction. The easiest way to think about this is when, you know, that phrase, when the rubber meets the road. When the rubber meets the road, let's take a big truck tire and, and have it on the road. There's traction there. There's friction and there's traction, and that's what gets you going in a certain direction. Faith is that internal traction that gets you going where God needs you to go, where God wants you to go. I have a story of that, that traction that goes back to December 31st, 1974, I, I know exactly where I was. December 31st, late in the day, sun was going down. It was dusk and things were starting to shut down and everybody in the warehouse was closing down. My truck was backed up to this warehouse just outside of Pontiac, Michigan, tractor trailer, 18 wheels. It was time to get on the road and, and head back home. New Year's Eve was upon us, and, uh, but there was ice under the wheels of the tractor and I was just spinning my wheels, and I was going nowhere. I couldn't get any traction. Reminds me of a song. Can't get no uh-uh-uh traction, uh-uh-uh. So, so I couldn't get any traction, and, and I was trying to figure out, and the guys in the warehouse, you know, they were looking at their watches going, sorry, 
It's New Year's Eve. We're going home. So I end up, I'm by myself. It's getting dark. I got no traction. I'm on the ice. There was an incline going down to the warehouse. And I got to get, get out of there. So I got some blankets out of the back of the, the, of the trailer. I threw those blankets underneath the, the wheels, and it spun for a while. And then suddenly the blankets caught. I got some friction happening. I got some traction, and I was out of there. But it took those blankets to get me going again. It takes faith sometimes to get us going again. We're spinning our wheels in life. Seems like nothing's happening. Seems like we're stuck. Seems like maybe we're falling backwards. But faith is the internal traction that gets us going. You know, if you read this chapter of Hebrews 11, and it's just an amazing chapter. All these names, all these great stories, stories of faith, stories of life happening all at the same time. As I was reading it, I said, let me just write down things that I'm learning here. Let me just share those with you. I just, just came up with 16 just sitting down and looking at it. Faith allows us to believe in a creator. Faith is a tangible attitude of the heart. Faith pleases God. Faith gets God's attention. Faith is rewarded by God. Faith allows you to, be, to see what isn't there. Faith moves you to go somewhere when you don't know the destination at the time of departure. You can't do that at an airport. You can't go to a, a destination and you don't know where it is that you're going. You have to know. You look for it on the boards at the airport. But faith moves you to go somewhere when you don't know the destination at the time of departure. Faith allows you to walk ahead of the impossible until it becomes possible. Faith allows you to give everything into God's hands. Faith allows you to write the chapters of your story by inspiration and perspiration. Faith encourages you with a miracle that you see and that you're walking right into. Faith sustains you in the darkness and pain when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Faith keeps you walking and you know that he's with you. Faith redeems the bad choices. Faith crushes the opposition. Faith writes the future. Faith rolls on through everyday life one question at a time, one challenge at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time. Why faith? Because faith is life and life is faith. When do you not need faith to make it through? When do we not need faith to get through a day? Faith will always tell the stories of our lives and the stories that are worth listening to and the stories that are going to be worth telling and heard over the years when you get toward the end of your life. You want these stories of faith because people will be hanging on your words. People will be taking them inside so that they can get some of the eternal, internal traction that you had. Let me tell you a couple of stories from Scripture about internal traction. Habakkuk chapter 3. It's a great short little clip here. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, everything's gone. There's nothing. There's no total wine. You can't go up there. It's shut down. There's no farm fresh or food line we're Whole Foods, it's shut down. You can't, you can't get anything. Nothing is happening. There's no gas to put in your car. You can't go anywhere. You are shut down. 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Listen, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. God's my strength. When you have internal traction, God's your strength. And even it looks like everything's shut down around you, he is going to let you you climb to the heights. He's going to be your strength. I'll tell you where I was in 1980. 1980, I was moving from Oregon, you know where that is, to Massachusetts, you know where that is. That's a long ride. That's a real long ride. It's days and days and days. Uh, Gail took Ashley, who was almost three at the time, uh, probably about two and a half or so, and she was pregnant five months with Travis, and she flew back home to be with her parents, and I loaded up a truck with my friend Jim, hooked up my car to be towed along behind the truck, and, uh, and I set out with my faithful Cocker Spaniel, Sam, and, uh, and we were driving cross country. So all the way across country, I'm thinking, you know, where am I really going? What am I really doing? I, I do have a destination, Beverly, Massachusetts. I do know I'm gonna unload this truck, but I don't have a place to live. I don't have a job. My wife is, is pregnant. I'm gonna be in school basically full time. How does this, how does this work? How does this work? And so I get there, make a phone call to an old friend. They set me up with an interview. Uh, I get this job. The rate of pay was, was, was good enough that I was gonna be able to put food on the table and get the, get the rent paid. And, uh, and, and here's the amazing part of the whole thing, how God takes care of all the details when you have the internal traction to have the faith that just says, God, I'm gonna give this to you. I'm gonna let you write this story in my life, on my heart. The company that I got the job with and had healthcare insurance that picked up the pregnancy at five months and paid everything. We didn't owe a dime on it. And they let her stay in the hospital five days. When do you get to do that? Let her stay in the hospital five days after having the baby. And uh, one night they served us a beautiful candlelight dinner in the room. It was just, the whole thing was amazing. And it comes out of faith. I have, I have seen and lived that life is faith and faith is life. I have seen that and I've lived it. When it looks like there's nothing, God is allowing you to climb up to a top, to the top of a mountain and take a look at what he has for you. Hosea chapter 6, one of my favorite passages. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. You know those rains that come in the spring, April showers will bring the flowers that bloom in May. You know those, those days when it, it's just raining and raining and then the flowers come up. He will come to us like those rains. I remember being in a situation where I, I thought 
I, I wanted to, to do more in ministry, and I thought I, I wanted to, to do something different than what I was doing, and uh, an opportunity came in front of me that I could apply for this job at a church in Pennsylvania, and it was a, it was a pretty big job. And so I applied, and I heard nothing. Not even a letter that said, hey, we got your resume. Nothing. So I just go on, go on with my life. Months later, and I'm, I'm talking maybe eight months later, I get a, I get a phone call from a, a pastor in Pennsylvania. I just found your resume under a pile on my desk. Now, I understand this because if you look at my desk, you could figure out how this would happen. I, I just found your resume under a pile of stuff on my desk. Are you still interested in this job? I said, yeah. So he flies down here, interviews me, you know, takes Gail and I out to dinner. Things are moving along. So then we go to Pennsylvania. We, we meet with the staff. We meet with the pastor. I go on a staff retreat. I mean, we go in deep. We go back. We look for housing. We, we look at all kinds of things. And they're going to make a big down payment on a house for us if we take the job. And, and our kids, you know, we look at, at school districts and school options. And it all seems like it's coming together. But I can't get to that place where I know for sure that I'm supposed to do this. Great salary, great benefits, great opportunities, great church. You know, what do I have to make a decision about here? But I can't get it to a place of peace. Gail and I can't together get to a place of peace. So finally, I just pray. And I say, God, I can't make the decision. I need you to make the decision. And I heard this voice, and the voice said very simply, I have a place for you here. And there was silence. The voice repeated, I have a place for you here. That was it. I said, okay, that's the answer. I'm here. That's it. I'm just here. This is not a decision that we're going to entertain anymore. A little over a year later, we started Spring Branch Community Church. And... Um, that's what God meant when he said, I have a place for you here. He, he was saying, we're not going to do this. This might look really good. And I know that you are sort of thinking you're supposed to do something different because you are, but you don't know what that is yet. It's actually this. I can't let you see that right now. But a little over a year later, God said, here it is now. Do this. And, and you, you sometimes just feel like it's, it's falling apart and you, you hurt on the inside and you're not really sure what's going on, but you press on. You press on to know the Lord and suddenly the rain starts coming and things start happening because faith is life and life is faith and it really works and I've lived this for over 40 years I've lived this. In 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, there's a speech speech is, is given by Samuel. And, and he's sort of given an overview of the history of Israel all in one chapter. It's really, really short. And basically, he's saying, um, you know, I was always on your side. You know, I, I never did anything to hurt you or to, to take advantage for myself. Um, you know that God gave you great opportunities and great promises and that you kind of slid away from those great promises and opportunities and started to do things that you thought were right in your own eyes. And you kind of, you know, just, just had an experience of, of not fully living by faith, the faith that everything started with, with Abraham. 
And so then we pick it up at verse 20. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil. What you did was wrong and you know it. Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. So he nudges them back to internal traction. He nudges them back to a faithful walk. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. So Samuel goes, you know you did wrong. You know you messed up. But I love you. God loves you. And I love you. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to teach you. So we get back to some internal traction that turns all this around. And then verse 24 is just beautiful. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, which is all God has ever asked of any of us, that we would faithfully serve him with all of our hearts. Consider what great things he has done for you. Consider what great things he has done for you. Remember the great stuff. It's one of the few verses that says, in order to look forward, look back. Take a look back, see the great stuff, and know that what's out in front is just as great, if not greater than that, because of who God is. Because God shows up all the time. I was in Denmark one time, and I was talking to a pastor. We were having lunch together, and uh, I was telling him about different things that have happened in my life and in the life of our church. And, And I was using the phrase, and then you do this, and then God shows up. And I could see a little bit of perplexity in his mind, and, and he, he stopped me at one point, and he said, what does this mean, God shows up? And I explained to him how when you keep walking in the plan that God has placed in your heart and in your mind, when you keep you keep going down this path that, that it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that, that God is making straight. When you keep doing that, God's going to show up along the way. He's going to continue to do things. It's going to be obvious that he is in it. It's going to be obvious that you didn't do it. You didn't orchestrate it, but he has done it, and he has orchestrated it. The people show up, and the resources show up. Faith creates a legacy. Internal traction at some point creates a legacy. And a legacy can be both individual, but it can be corporate. And I believe we're at a time where God is creating an internal traction legacy for each and every one of us. And God's going to be doing this throughout the rest of this year. Some of you went to the focus group meetings and you, you gave feedback on church life and ministry, and it was really great. And I thank you for that sincerely from the bottom of my heart, you said some really great things and, and you pointed out some, some things that are hard to hear, but we need to hear hard things too. You pointed out some really great things that we can make better and that's why you, you do stuff like that. So we are launching the, the, the program that, that, comes, that emerges from those focus groups and we have named it Legacy. 
And so legacy, vision, courage, faith, that's what's going to take us into the future. That's what's going to be the story of the future. The story of the future is kind of like that verse 24 in Samuel that I read earlier. You look back and you see what God has done and then you can look ahead to see what God is going to do. And so the story of faith becomes a story of vision, a story of courage to keep following, and a story of faith because faith is life. And if you want to have great stories to tell at the end of your life, you have to have faith wherever you are in your life right now. Legacy, faith will tell the stories of our lives. Faith will write the story of our lives. Read that chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews and see all those names and realize that your name could be in a story just like that. At the end of our lives, we want to tell the stories of faith, how our belief in God, in the words of of Hebrews, conquered kingdoms, stood for justice, proved the truth of God's promises. Let me take you back to 1904. This is one of the most often told stories in evangelical Christianity in the last 50 years. Easily one of the most often told stories. The first time I told it was at least 35 years ago, approximately. Um, and, uh, and I've told it since then, other times and places. It was recently in a book by Mark Batterson. Somebody, one of my friends came up to me the other day and said, there's this story. Uh, and, and I just smiled because I know this story. Let me take you back to 1904 Chicago. There's a young man, he's 16, maybe 16 and a half years old. His name is William Borden. There's a lot of us that remember, when I say Borden, a cow named Elsie. Okay, that was the family, the Borden family. In 1904, they were worth millions of dollars because of the businesses that they were in. And so this is a, a child born in, into a privileged family. This is a child who has a, a, a destiny in business. He could take the family fortune and he could, he could invest it and, and do even more with it. And there's great hopes for this young man, William Borden. So his, his parents say, we're going to send you for your high school graduation. We're going to send you on a trip around the world. And so off he goes, 16 and a half, trip around the world. Comes back months later. And what he saw changed him. This is a Christian family. He was a a, a deep, devout Christian young person. He saw hunger. He saw poverty. He saw brokenness. He saw all the, the, the needs of the world that just cried out for somebody to help. And he comes back and he he tells his friends and his family that he thinks that he wants to be a missionary. And they're like, no, don't. What are you thinking about? You're gonna just throw your life away being a missionary. You 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 are a a from a family that has resources that, that you can hardly even quantify. And this is what you're going to do with your life. He always kept a diary. And, and they, they found his diary later on. And, and right after high school, he wrote two words in his diary when people were, were saying, you know, don't throw your life away. You have all this money. And he wrote these two words, no reserves, no reserves. Because in his mind, he was going to give it all away. And it was big news. Young millionaire renounces world to be missionary. Just walking away from a family fortune to give his life to whatever God wants him to do. So he goes on to Yale. And he's at Yale for four years. 
And he, he starts a Bible study, sort of like a small group Bible study thing. See his handkerchief? Sort of like my handkerchief. Um, it's old school. Okay, so starts his Bible study. It grows to 150. And then by the time he gets through four years at Yale, what do you got? 1,300 students at Yale are now in Bible studies where when he got there, those didn't exist. And not only that, he's, he's strategically planning to go after people that aren't in Bible studies. He's, he's saying, let's target John because he's not in a study and, and it looks like he's really, you know, throwing his life away. Let's pray about John. Let's get John in Bible study. So he's got all this strategic evangelism stuff going on. So then he goes to Princeton and he finishes his theological education. He's already written no reserves. He now writes no retreats in his journal, right underneath the no reserves. No reserves, no retreats. He's now going off to be a missionary. And so he's 25 years old. He's ready to do this. He goes off. He's in Egypt to study Arabic. And when he's in Egypt, on his way to China, to be a missionary to China, he's in Egypt to study Arabic. He contracts spinal meningitis, and at 25 years of age, he dies. When they find his journal, he has already written two words underneath. No reserves, no retreats. And those two words are no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Because he has lived a life of internal traction. He's lived a life that is defined by faith. And the story of his life the story of faith and faithfulness of his life has been told all over the world. There are films about it. Pastors talk about it. Educators talk about it. Because it's like a light that shines. It says, look at what can happen when somebody stands for faith in the world. Look at what can happen when someone really gives his or her life in a way that changes life in a way that, that looks beyond things that can be seen to things that can't be seen. And when we become a church like that, there's nothing that can stand in our way. When we take the opportunities that God gives us from his hands, from his holy hands, and we accomplish them, God gets the glory and God rewards us again for being faithful. Why faith? Why faith? I believe there's something today that you need internal traction for. Something today that demands that you really believe and you really see what you can't see right now, but you know that God has said that it's out there. Whatever that is, whatever that is, that's your answer to the question, why faith? Dear Heavenly Father, you have given us gifts today gifts of scripture the gift of the challenge to have faith the gift to, to see something that we can't see but you can see so Father help us to really live this life of internal traction with you help us to live faithfully with all of our hearts to see you to give you our lives again today individually and together as the church Father, press this lesson of faith into our hearts now. In Jesus' name.